chairs for our kids' crew worship time. If sixth grade and under, the kids can make their way to the front where they will uh, encounter our leaders and head upstairs. Time of worship designed just for them. As they're doing that, I encourage you to turn Mark chapter 6 in your Bible. We're studying our way through the gospel of Mark. We will finish chapter 6 today. I want to encourage you, if you have missed uh, some of our, our messages recently, you can always catch up on our website. Those get posted weekly to the website. You can listen directly off the website. You can download them from there, or you can subscribe to our podcast, and you'll find it there. And uh, I mention that because I know last week in particular with the weather and things was a different uh, sort of week, right? I mean, it was cold. It was, in fact, it was bitter cold, much colder than we're used to here in Oklahoma. And uh, the combination of that perhaps in, in New Year's Eve kept a lot of people away. Uh, but we, we studied a very familiar text last week in Mark 6 where Jesus feeds the crowd. He feeds the, the thousands. And uh, we saw that in the, in the midst of that, the, the heartbeat of that story is that when we, when we give what we have to Jesus in his hands, it's enough. It may seem like uh, a few loaves and a few fish or as we saw it last week, sort of like the original Lunchable, right? Because they were crackers and pickled fish. So like it may be a Lunchable to, to you, but in the hands of Jesus, it can be a banquet feast if you will give him what you have. And, and uh, what a great message for us this morning as well. We're going to study a very familiar text, a very familiar passage where Jesus walks on water. But uh, I want us to see this again. I said the same thing last week, but if we can, I want us to try to see this text with fresh eyes today. Because if, like me, you are very familiar with this story, then you probably think that you understand the, the thrust of this story already. And, and well, you may. That the, the idea being that when, if Jesus were walking on water, right, if we will keep our eyes on Jesus, that we can walk on the water too as Peter walks on the water. But you know what's interesting is Mark doesn't even give us the details of that part of the story. Mark doesn't include anything about Peter getting out of the boat and walking with the water on Jesus. And so then what are we left with? What is then the thrust of the story of Jesus walking on the water if it's not about us walking on water too, right? Having faith, doing the miraculous seemingly. Well, we'll see that as we jump into the text this morning, and we will dip into Matthew's account a little bit, because what Peter does is significant. But, but I want us to focus on seeing this with fresh eyes this morning. You know, I, I remember vividly as a child this story of walking on water, and, and I suppose every child does this, right? You try to come up with a way to walk on water. So, at, you know, summertime, kids are splashing around in the pool, what we wouldn't give for a little bit of that right now, right? But kids are splashing around in the pool in summertime, and, and, and every kid wants to come up with a way to try to walk on water. Now, we can't do it on our own, right? We get that. But be it some kind of a floating device or, you know, maybe you try to just see how far you can get on the water before you begin to see. We, we try to come up with a way to walk upon the water, right, as it were. Well, you know, what's interesting about this, this story and, and the idea of walking on water and all, as much fun as it is for kids that, that you know, are playing in the pool, it really has some great insight for us, especially what we'll see in Mark chapter 6 this morning, about how we live and importantly, how we respond when things aren't going the way 
that we expect. Now, managing expectations is a big part of life, right? Managing our expectations. In fact, every day, to some degree, all of us are managing expectations. What we expect of the world, what we expect of ourselves, what we expect from a spouse, from our coworkers, from our job, from just life, right? Think about, think about the, 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 the details of life. Just the everyday things that happen. And how do we respond, how do you respond when things don't quite go the way you want, when things don't go the way that you expect? Managing those expectations is, it really, it is part and parcel to our daily existence. Life is about going through a series of events and managing the expectation, managing those moments, getting through, well, as we're going to see importantly in this passage, we we don't want to just get through life, right? I mean, we want there to be some, some vision, some purpose, some, some, some drive, a, a meaning behind how we live and what we do. And understanding this text, I, I think, will go a long way in, in helping us live with the kind of purpose, the kind of meaning and vision for our lives that Jesus desires for us to have. And so let's jump into this text this morning. I'm going to read beginning in verse 45, and I'm just going to read through the end of the chapter, Mark chapter 6, and we'll go back and break it down as we do that. Immediately it says, he made his disciples get into the boat. Now immediately, of course, this is, this is taking place immediately after he's fed the thousands. Immediately he made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, where while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken care excuse me, taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out to sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, which is to say that they were struggling, right? For the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. The fourth watch would have been... uh, the, the, the wee hours of the morning, maybe, is the way that we would say that. Sometime between about 3 and 6 a.m. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened. Now that is there to help us connect the fact that what is taking place here is tied to, in many ways, tied to what has just happened, right? Why would he, they've just seen Jesus walk on water. Why would Mark tell us that they didn't understand about the loaves? Forget the loaves, Jesus just walked on the water, right? But that's there to help us understand that these events are connected. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And moored to the shore, when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, and countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. So there there are three key things that I want us to see in this Story, which really perhaps is, is, is even two stories because we have Jesus walking on the water and then the events in the towns and villages where many are healed. But I, I want us to, to see how all of this is tied together, even with the passage that immediately precedes this. And, and so we'll look at these three keys as we work our way through this. The, f- the first thing is this, right? As we, as we look at this story, 
we see shouting at the sight of Jesus. The disciples shout at the sight of Jesus. And so here's what's happening, right? Jesus has just fed thousands with with a lunchable, right, with a, with a sack lunch. And there's been enough leftovers that each of the disciples is taking a doggy bag, right? They're taking food home with them. And he, t- he loads them up into the boat and he sends them over to Bethsaida. Now, this is what we know from the other gospels and the story of the, the feeding of the thousands is that immediately after, those who had gathered wanted to There, in that moment, they wanted to make Jesus their king then. They were ready to crown him, to coronate him as the leader. Surely, Jesus, you are the one. Surely, you are the Messiah. But what they understood is that Jesus would be a political leader. They understood that any man with this kind of power, surely this guy can do something about Herod, right? Surely he can do something about uh, about the leaders that we have. Surely a man with this kind of power is the one who's going to bring us back to greatness. But Jesus knew that it wasn't his time. And more than that, he, he even says, as they try to pronounce him as, as their king, we see in the other gospels that he, he says, uh, you don't get it. I'm paraphrasing, of course, that's not exactly how Jesus said it, but he, you, you don't get it because you think that it's about an earthly kingdom but it's about something much greater. And so we have in this gospel that immediately after he's fed the thousands, you can imagine that the crowds were, they were worked up at this point. I mean, they've just witnessed the miracle of all miracles. And I don't mean that he made a bunch of food out of very little. I mean the fact that that many people ate the same thing and they were all satisfied. What a miracle, right? That was a joke, by the way. It's 2018, catch up, you'll, you'll get there. I'll give you just a minute. But what has taken place was incredible. The kind of thing that, quite honestly, defies belief, right? And Jesus, knowing that this is a key moment and that it's not time yet, basically what we see, he says to the disciples, hey, you guys, get in the boat and get out of here. And so he loads up the disciples in, into the boat and he tells them to head to Bethsaida. The Sea of Galilee. And so as he's doing this, he's, he loads them up. We notice that he then deals with the crowd. He deals with the multitude who have gathered. It's, he takes it upon himself. I'm going to disperse the crowd. I'm going to send them on their way. Jesus deals with that moment. He, 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 he speaks truth. This is, I'm, this is not what you think. I'm, I'm not what you expect. And then he goes off to spend time alone in prayer. Now remember the events that led up to all of this. Jesus had sent his disciples out on a mission trip, we called it. He, he sent them out into the towns and the villages and the surrounding areas to preach the gospel and to share about all that, all, the message of Christ, right? The good news of Jesus and his kingdom. And wherever they went, they were able to perform miracles and do these great things. And all of that was done to point people back to Jesus. And when they returned to him, they began to share, Mark chapter 6, verse 30, we see that they were sharing about all these things that had happened And they were saying, Jesus, it was amazing, right? But they were exhausted. They were worn out. They were weary from their journey, from their travels, from all the things that had taken place. And so Jesus wanted to get away. And and so they load up and they're they're gonna get away for rest. But they can't rest 
because by the time they arrive where they're going, the crowds have already seen that it's Jesus. Now, bigger crowds perhaps than ever because the disciples have gone out and they've spread the word. The word about Jesus is, is spreading. And, and the crowds throng to him, the masses, the multitudes. And so they're in this desolate place, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's a desert. It just means they're in the middle of nowhere. And the crowd gathers and Jesus feeds them. All of those things take place. The disciples load up in the boat. Now, imagine they can only be even more exhausted than they were prior to the feeding of the thousands, right? They can only be even more tired physically, emotionally. They're worn out in all of this. And so Jesus sends them off. And it's in the midst of this that the storm happens and we see Jesus walking on the sea. And so these, these disciples, we know, many of them were, were trained fishermen. These are not guys who are unfamiliar with the Sea of Galilee. These are not guys who have no experience with a boat. They know what they're doing. They know their way around the sea very well. They, they, they know how to sail. And so here they are in the boat in the middle of the night. Jesus sees from a distance that they are struggling with the wind. They are struggling against it. They were making headway painfully is the way that it's worded here in the ESV. But they were, they were struggling because of this storm. And so Jesus intends to go to them and to pass by. We'll come back to that in a moment. That's key as well. But Jesus, Jesus sees their struggle. He knows what they're engaged with. And they're exhausted. They're worn out. Now, does that describe any of us? Does anybody ever, do you ever feel exhausted? You feel worn out? You feel tired? You, you struggle in this world? You struggle in life? And, and you're tired of being tired even, right? You're tired of the struggle. You feel like you never get rest. You never get, there's never peace. There's, there's always some kind of struggle. And you wonder, does God see? Does he know what's going on? What we see here is that Jesus sees. Even though the disciples don't know it. Jesus is watching them from the land. He sees what is happening to them. And the language here that says that Jesus meant to pass them by, the language is similar to the Old Testament uh, usage of, of this language of passing by in the Greek Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament texts, which were originally written in Hebrew. So in the Greek Old Testament, the language from uh, an instance like Exodus chapter 33, which was a theophany, which is where God takes Moses at Sinai and he hides him in the cleft and his presence passes by and he doesn't allow Moses to see him. But after he's passed by, Moses sees God's essentially his presence from behind. He sees God after he's passed by. He beholds God's glory and, and that sort of language there about God passing by or a similar instance with the prophet Elijah where God passes by. That's the, the, the same language that's used here. What does it mean that Jesus meant to pass by? Does, that mean that, does it mean that Jesus was going to walk by the disciples on the water as they're struggling against the storm as if to kind of show off like, hey guys, look what I can do. You know, if you would all just be like me, you could walk on the water. No, that's not what it, the purpose there is to help us understand that Jesus intends to show them more about who he really is. So in the Old Testament, 
this, this language. I, I want to, specifically, I would highlight Exodus chapter 33. Look at verse 19 and following in Exodus 33 where, where God is speaking to Moses. That's what we would call a theophany. It's an appearance of God in, uh, in, in, in real life, we might say, that someone sees God, beholds his glory, his presence. And so Moses beholds the glory of God. It's a theophany as God passes by. And what this language here, I think, is intended to show us is that Jesus' intent was to show the disciples a bit of his glory. So he comes walking to them on the water, not to show off, Not to, hey, somebody jump out here and join me on the water. Though we know from the other gospels, Peter does get out on the water and walk on the water as well. But it's to show the disciples his glory. He meant to pass them by. He meant to show them here. Well, how would he do that? Well, it begins by understanding where the disciples are at. They're worn out. They're tired. They're exhausted. They're... They're maybe in in many ways uh, beaten down because it's like they go from one struggle, one situation to the next. They can never get ahead. They can never rise above. They 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 can never make headway. And so when Jesus comes toward the boat, approaching the boat in in the middle of the night, ready to pass by, ready to show them their glory. Rather than understanding that this same Jesus who has the power to feed the multitudes, this same Jesus who had the power to give them authority over demons and over sickness and things as he sent them out, rather than understanding and connecting, look, this is Jesus. He's got something. They They were afraid and they shouted. They cried out. They thought it was a ghost. They almost missed what he was trying to do because they were just, they were exhausted. They were worn out. And the point that I want us to see first and foremost is that if we aren't careful, the circumstances of life, just the busyness, the stress, the tiredness, the worries, the cares of this world will keep us from seeing what it is that God wants to do in our life. Well, what's the solution? What's the answer? How do we not miss Jesus as he passes by? How do we not miss Jesus in his glory? I would say that the the answer is that we need to spend time in his presence. Again, in Exodus chapter 33, where God is speaking to Moses. Moses is asking God, "How how how will the people ever listen to me? And God says to him, this is, I'm just jumped to it, Exodus 33, verse 14. God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. See, where the presence of God is, we find rest. When we live in his presence, we find peace. Philippians chapter four is another place where we find this, where Paul is writing and he talks about the God of peace will be with you. See, where the presence of God is, there is peace. Where the presence of God is, there is rest. Where the presence of God is, there can be calm even in the midst of the storm. What happens is we get so busy that we allow the busyness to take us away from God, right? Rather than drawing closer and pressing in. What we need in the midst of the stress, the chaos, the worry, the struggle is not to not to give ourselves to the busyness, but rather 
to try to pull away from it, to spend time in the presence of God. Because where the presence of God is, there's peace. So listen, I, can, I, can, I would just encourage you. It's the beginning of a new year. We're seven days now into the new year. There is no other habit, no other practice, no other discipline that will feed you, that will sustain you, that will encourage you this year like spending time every day the presence of Jesus, studying his word, spending time in prayer, drawing close to him. And you may think, I'm so busy. Pastor, that sounds great, but you don't get it. I mean, we wake up, the alarm goes off in the morning, and we hit the ground running, and we don't stop until our head hits the pillow at night. And can I tell you, I get it. I do get it. And I'm not saying, I don't mean to say this is easy, and I don't mean to say that it doesn't require discipline, and I I don't mean to, to say this as though it's simple. But hear me, it is so necessary. We're busy at my house too, right? Four kids, all headed in different directions. Myself, my wife, working uh, there's a lot going on in, in my world, in our world too. I understand the stresses, the pressures, the chaos, the struggle, all of that. I get all of it. But I can tell you from my own experience, when I will be disciplined to carve out time alone with God, it's not that the problems all go away. It's not that the storm stops. It's just that I have peace in the midst of the storm because the presence of God gives me peace. And there is nothing that will feed you, sustain you, carry you in the midst of your struggle like spending time in the presence of God. The disciples are exhausted. They miss it almost, right? They think they've seen a ghost, but in fact, it's Jesus who's about to pass by. It's Jesus who's gonna show them a bit of his glory, but they shout at the sight of Jesus. We don't wanna shout when we see Jesus we, unless it's like shouting for, for joy, right? We don't wanna be afraid at his presence. We wanna draw near to him. The second thing we see in this passage is they were sinking in a sea of fear and doubt. Now, I do want for a moment to look at Matthew's account of this same story, if I can call it that, is Matthew tells the story a little bit differently than Mark does, of course, as all of the gospel writers do. But in telling the same story, Matthew tells us about Peter and Peter's reaction. So in Matthew chapter 14, verse 28, this is what we see. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So what we understand is that not only were the disciples, not only were they afraid, it's the middle of the night, and here this guy that looks like Jesus walking on the water, but they were also, they were, they were sinking in this fear and this doubt, right? I mean, the, there was so much, their, their, their senses were overwhelmed, not only by the storm, not only by what they had just witnessed with the feeding of the thousands, not only by weeks, perhaps months of their journey and sharing the gospel and ministering in the name of Jesus, but now on top of all that, this, Jesus is walking on the water. It's just, it's overwhelming to say the least. And they were sinking in a sea of fear and, and of doubt. 
They were afraid of what they saw. They were afraid of what is happening. Do you ever find yourself in a situation like this? Do you ever find yourself afraid of where life has you, afraid of what's going on, afraid of your circumstance, afraid of what's coming, afraid of the unknown? Peter, the bold one of the bunch, says, you know, Peter's always the one that's, that's going to that's gonna speak up when others would be silent, right? If it's you, Jesus, call me out. And so Jesus calls him out. Peter walks on the water until he begins to focus again on the storm rather than on the Savior. And what happens? He sinks. He begins to sink. There's a, obviously, there's a great message there for us. That if we will fix our eyes on Jesus rather than focusing on the storm around us, that we will experience his power at work in our lives. But if we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, if, instead if we focus on the storm, if we, if, we are, if we are too caught up with what is happening around us, then we will find ourselves sinking in a sea of fear and doubt, much as the same as what happened to Peter. You know, I can remember vividly, I've shared this before, but I remember vividly as a child, anytime I would be afraid, my mother would always quote from the book of Psalms. She would say, when I am afraid, I will trust in God. I'll never forget that passage of scripture because I heard it so many times growing up. When I'm afraid, I will trust in God. That was drilled in me from a young age. When you're afraid, turn to God. When you're afraid, trust in him. Don't look to your circumstance. Don't look at the storm. Instead, fix your eyes on Jesus. When you're afraid, look to him. But the disciples were too distracted by their circumstances. They were too distracted by what was going on around them. And so we see then the third key to this passage is because of this, they were struggling against the raging storm. Struggling against the storm. So they shouted at the side of Jesus. They were sinking in the sea of fear and doubt. And they were struggling against the storm that was raging all about them. You know, the struggle here. That, that they're, it's a, it's, they're suffering against this storm, right? They're struggling. They're making headway painfully. And they were frustrated, no doubt, because Jesus told them to get in the boat and go to Bethsaida, and, and yet it's, they can't because the wind is pushing them in the other direction. And, and these are guys that know their way around the sea. They know how to navigate the storm, but they're frustrated, they're afraid, no doubt, because in the midst of this struggle, now here comes this apparition, this ghost that looks like Jesus walking on the water. It's, it's, it's a lot to take in, to say the least. But you know, the struggle that they're facing reminds us that we, we have struggles too in life. Really, there are two kinds of struggles, two, two ways that we, that we struggle or we suffer, right? There's one kind of struggle in our life that, that advances the kingdom, and so it's necessary. I think, for example, of what Paul writes in Romans chapter 18, verse 17, and, and, and excuse me, chapter 18, verse 17 and 18. I think of what Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, he talks about suffering and the necessity of our struggle. That we struggle for the sake of Christ. We struggle for the advancement of the gospel. There's a kind of suffering that we go through in life that advances the kingdom, and so it's necessary. What, what, is that, 
struggle look like? It's any time that we struggle, any time we suffer, and God works through our struggle, through our suffering to show his power. That's what's happening here with the disciples. They're struggling against the storm. They're struggling to get where they wanted to go. And and now here comes this this ghost-like figure that turns out to really be Jesus walking on the water to them. And they cry out in fear and they're sinking in this sea of, of doubt. They can't believe what's happening. Even though they've seen the miraculous with their own eyes, even though they've witnessed it firsthand as they performed miracles, the authority that Jesus gave them, they're struggling. Sometimes you and I, we struggle as well. Listen, our struggle doesn't mean that we are, our struggle doesn't mean that we don't love God. The struggle doesn't mean that we don't even, that we don't trust him. The struggle doesn't mean that we haven't seen God do some powerful, amazing things in our lives. The struggle just means that, that we're real, right? I mean, it, that, that sometimes the cares of this world, the burdens of life seem like a lot to live with. It's a lot to handle, a lot to, to bear. But in the midst of our struggle, we need to be reminded that there is, there is a, a type of struggling, a type of suffering that advances the kingdom And it's necessary. Beware of anyone that ever preaches a message, a gospel that tells you that if you you walk with Jesus, you'll never struggle. If you walk with Jesus, that you're going to have everything you need and, and life will be great and all of your cares and your burdens will go away. Beware of anyone that preaches that, that false gospel of prosperity that says, look, just follow God and everything's going to be okay. Because the scripture doesn't teach that at all. Instead, the scripture teaches that suffering can be necessary at points because it's in the midst of our struggle that the gospel shines clearly. But there's a second type of struggling. There's a second type of of suffering. And and this, this is the kind of struggle that happens when we sink. And it's needless. So... The kind of suffering that happens to advance the gospel is necessary because God's power is revealed in the midst of our struggle. But there's a kind of struggle that happens when we begin to sink, when we live with fear and doubt. And instead of spending time in the presence of God, drawing near to him, we pull away. And that kind of suffering is needless because it's, it, it's a product of our poor choices that we would, rather than drawing near to God in the midst of the struggle, that we would pull back try to do things on our own, try to work on our own strength and our own ability instead of letting him do his work in us, through us, experiencing his power. This kind of struggle is unnecessary because if we would just have faith, if we would just draw near, if we would just trust and obey, even though we struggle, we would experience the work of God and the power of God this is, the, this is the important point that I want you to see in this. Because there's a connection between the struggle that the disciples are experiencing on the sea and what happens next. I told you that Mark gives us this key phrase in verse 52. They did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. See, we know that the hearts of the disciples were hardened. Even though they had seen Jesus do the miraculous, their hearts are hardened. And yet, God is using the struggle to break through the hardness of their heart 
and to get them where they need to be. Let's see what I mean. So in the very next verse, verse 53, we see this. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. Now, where was it that Jesus sent them when he loaded them in the boat in verse 45? It wasn't Gennesaret, was it? It was Bethsaida. And so they get in the boat intent upon going in one direction, but instead, because of the struggle, because of the storm, they end up someplace entirely different. Jesus is using the struggle to redirect their course. The, the storm, as it were, was not sending them where they intended to go. Instead, it was moving them someplace else. And sometimes that's exactly what God will do with our struggles. He will use your struggle. He will use what you're going through. What may feel like suffering to you may be necessary because it may be what God needs to refine you, to purify you, to redirect you to where he wants you to be. What happens when they get there? What happens in Gennesar? Look at what happened. They got out of the boat. And immediately people recognized Jesus. And they ran to him, right? From the whole region, they began to bring sick, those who were sick, those who were helpless, those who were hopeless. They didn't end up where they intended to be. Now, we know that in the other gospels, Jesus pronounces a woe against Bethsaida. Woe to you, Bethsaida. It'll be worse for you, uh, worse for you in, in the days of of judgment because you have, you have not believed. He's telling them that because of the hardness of your hearts. So although they were headed in one direction, they were headed toward a hard-hearted people that weren't going to listen. And instead, the struggle, the storm changed their course and they landed in a place where they were able to do ministry, where they were able to see people healed and and and. and they were able to see the hurting made well and all of these things in a place that they, frankly, never meant to be. Sometimes God will use the struggle in your life. He'll use the storms, if you will, to lead you down a path that you would never choose on your own. To lead you to a place that you would never go of your own doing. And yet, he's taking you there because he's got a plan and a purpose for you. See, Sometimes in the midst of the storm, we get so frustrated that we just give up. We're, we stop following God. We stop looking. We try to do things on our own. But if instead, if we would lean into him, if we would trust him, if we would believe that he can redirect us and that there's a plan and a purpose in all of this, it may be that we experience the, the miraculous, much like the disciples so they go about the whole region. People began to bring the sick so that they would bring people on their beds wherever they heard that Jesus was. And whenever he came in these villages, cities, countryside, they laid their sick in the marketplaces and implored him, Jesus, if they could just touch the hem of your garment, they would be healed. And it happened, right? There was an amazing ministry waiting. There was an amazing opportunity here for the disciples again to see the power of God at work. But in order for this to happen, they needed to be redirected. They needed to go to Gennesaret, not to Bethsaida. And so 
we need to understand that even though we may struggle against the storm, that God has a purpose for the storms. God has a purpose. He knows what he's doing. If you've ever leaned into him, trusted him in the midst of your struggle, you know that there is a, there is a providence of God that will direct you, that will lead you. I can point to so many examples in my own life. And more than that, I look around the room and I see you and I know your stories and I know the struggles and I know what you, I can point in this room. I can start, I could start calling out examples of ways that God has worked through your struggles, sicknesses, disease, worry, loss of job, circumstances with your kids, the struggles, the pains, the trials of life, and yet God uses it. In a way, it becomes necessary because God uses it to refine our faith and to show his power and his glory in our lives. The key for us, will we harden our hearts because we don't want the struggle? Or will we draw near to God, spend time with him so that we might have his peace, his presence in the midst of the storm. Truth is that you and I, we get to decide. I can't choose for you. You can't choose for me. Parents can't choose for their kids. Kids can't pick that for their friends. Each of us has a responsibility. The very choice Will we choose to trust God and draw near? Or will we get tired with the struggle and pull away and try to do it on our own? Notice that the storm didn't stop until Jesus got in the boat with the disciples. Even in the midst of Peter walking in the water and all of it, the storm was still going on in the midst of all of that. But when Jesus got in the boat, the storm ceased if you will draw near, if you will be as close to him as you can be, metaphorically speaking, so to speak, if you will let Jesus get in the boat with you, the storms will cease. And I don't mean to say that all the problems go away. Hear me, okay? I don't mean to say that life struggles. And, but what I mean is that now there's, the storm no longer matters. There's a peace in the midst of that because Jesus is with you. You're in his presence. Will you draw near to him? Will you practice the habit, the discipline of spending time with him in his presence? In a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And in our time of response today, I can think of so many layers to this story, right? So many layers of ways that we can respond. Perhaps you're here today and, and maybe God is using this message to speak to you because the reason you have the storm, the chaos in your life, the reason that you have no peace is because you've never experienced the presence of God at work in your life. And what you need today is to, is to draw near to him. What you need today is to, by faith, surrender your life to him. Invite him in. Allow him to come in in the midst of your storm to bring his peace into your heart. You need to surrender your life to Jesus today by faith. Perhaps you're in the midst of a struggle, in the midst of a storm right now. And, and the natural tendency is to cry out in fear. The natural tendency is to live struggling against the struggle, right? You want to struggle against the storm. And what you need instead is to draw near, trust, have faith, spend time in the presence of God. Trust him, follow him. Maybe, maybe God wants to show you today 
that there's a purpose behind your pain, that your struggle, that your storm is, is accomplishing something bigger than you in your life. It's redirecting you. It's moving you where God needs you to be so that he can work through you and, and others can be ministered to through you. However God is speaking, whatever he's showing you, I pray that you would just respond with the kind of obedience that says, God, I'm going to draw near. I'm going I'm I'm to trust you in the midst of my storm. So in a moment, we'll pray, and after I pray, sing a song of invitation. As we do that, our staff will be here at the front ready to receive you. If you're wanting today to trust your life to Christ, I would encourage you to come. There's, it's, not a, it's not a magic cure-all. It's not a spiritual silver bullet that you trust Jesus and, and life is great all the time. But it does mean that even in the midst of the storm, you can have peace if you'll trust him and walk with him. Maybe today God is just using this to impress upon you that in the moment when you need him the most, what you've done is you've pulled away. And God's, God's impressing upon your heart. Draw near to him. Trust him. Spend time with him. Our altars are open if you want to come and just surrender your burden to him. Maybe even just come to, just to acknowledge before God. God, I've, I've, rather than trusting you, I've struggled against you. Today, would you, would you just do your work in my heart? Lord, I want to trust you. I don't want to struggle against you, but rather I want to walk with you in my struggle. Our altars are open here if you want to pray today. And so I would encourage you in whatever God, in whatever way God is speaking, in whatever way that he's using this text to, to speak his word to your heart today, that you would respond in obedience and faith to him. Would you pray with me now? God, as we think on this, this text, as we think on your word, we're reminded that our lives have storms. We have struggle in this life. I think if it were up to us, certainly God, I know if it were up to me, I would choose a life free of any kind of pain and any kind of struggle. I just wanted everything to be great all the time. And yet I'm reminded even as I study this, Lord, that there's a purpose at times in my struggling. There's a purpose in my suffering. God, use it for your glory in, in, in our lives. Refine us through the trials of life, Lord, so that we may show your glory to the world around us. If there's anyone here today, Lord, that is struggling and they have no peace and they're sinking in a sea of doubt and fear, God, may your, may your presence encounter them today and may it change everything about their life by faith as they trust in you. Consciously, we choose today, God, to draw near to you in the midst of our struggle so that our suffering may be, we may see it as necessary and and it's not needless because, Lord, we trust you even in the midst of the storm. And so speak to us, work in our hearts now, we pray in your name, God.